So I do not have, to the best of my knowledge, much experience of being pitied. Now, it's entirely possible that it goes on where I can't see it. So that being said, and besides, you know, pity is a really ugly emotion. One of the reasons it's so ugly is that it, it kind of pretends like it's kind, but it's not, because we really can't pity someone who uh, we consider ourselves equal with. It's a looking down upon kind of uh, experience. So I don't have a lot of experience that I know of being pitied, but there is one thing that I regularly share with people that, that gets these kind of faces just... <sighs> when I tell them that I don't drink coffee. <laughs> How could you live your life if you don't drink coffee? The truth is I like coffee. I just drink decaf coffee and then the pity deepens. People say, what's the point? You see, my experience is that I have known a lot of anxiety in my life and my anxiety tends to live in my body and so the effect of caffeine upon my physical self is that it mirrors the symptoms of anxiety if not an outright anxiety attack and so I stay away from coffee caffeinated kind entirely I don't think I've voluntarily had a caffeinated cup of coffee in maybe 25 years Now, maybe some of you are in awe of me, which I will take, by the way. (laughs) So, especially in this last year of my life in which I have been busier than I have ever have been before, you know, in which I routinely have to wake up before the sun comes up and get out of bed. This is a challenge. I have missed coffee's effect that I know it has for many of you. And so I have to uh, achieve alternative measures of waking up after I get out of bed. If I have enough time, even just five or ten minutes, I'll get on my yoga mat. I'll bring my soul and my body back together. Uh, if I don't have time for that, I will do some uh, kundalini yoga, yogic breathing exercises. I'll do these little uh, Spider-Man fingers. If you've ever seen this, do this little alternative nostril breathing It's an interesting mix because it helps to kind of stabilize my mind and calm it and also wake me up. It's been another way that I have woken up after I've gotten out of bed. And it's sometimes on those days in which I really have difficulty kind of coming back to my senses. And it looks something like this. Some of you who drive this route might be aware that in late September through early to mid-October, maybe even November, there are about four to six trees when you're headed south on Route 202, just before the Chesterbrook exit, in which nature is absolutely on fire. You know the trees I'm talking about if you have seen it. And the truth is, I say it looks like this, but it's not this because I am driving at this point and I'm not going to try and snap a picture. That would not be skillful. But I just feel this sense of awe and and wonder. And so I say to the trees, when perhaps the breathing hasn't helped, not as much as I would like, 
Thank you for waking me up. It turns out I'm not alone in finding trees to be a means of connecting more deeply with this life. A number of years ago, about five years ago, the city of Melbourne, Australia, tried an experiment to try and account for the numerous trees within its city boundaries. What they did is they assigned an ID number and a distinct email address to trees all throughout the city. They did it so that people could be able to report problems, (laughs) like low-hanging branches. It had an unintended and really beautiful consequence. Thousands of love letter emails poured into these trees all throughout the city. It sounded like this. Dear Algerian Oak, thank you for giving us oxygen and thank you for being so pretty. I don't know where I'd be without you to extract my carbon dioxide. I would probably be in heaven. Stay strong. Stand tall amongst the crowd. You are the gift that keeps on giving. We were going to speak about wildlife, but don't have enough time and have other priorities. Unfortunately, hopefully one day our environment will be our priority. Another one. Dear Greenleaf Elm. I hope you like living at St. Mary's. Most of the time, I like it too. I have exams coming up and I should be busy studying. You do not have exams because you are a tree. I don't think there is much more to talk about as we don't have a lot in common, you being a tree and such, but I'm glad we're in this together. Cheers, F. Who got a response? Hello, F. I do like living here. I hope you do well in your exams. Research has shown that nature can influence the way people learn in a positive way, so I hope to inspire your learning. Best wishes, Greenleaf Elm Tree ID 1022165. That's actually why, in addition to safety, I didn't stop and try and capture an image of that tree. Because I didn't want to turn it into just another object. The truth is, that tree captured me as much as I might ever hope to capture it. It captured my attention. It captured my awareness. When we engage in the world in this way, in recognizing that we always have an opportunity to turn things, or sometimes each other, that we can turn into things, from objects into means to wherever we are going, to moving past and not paying attention, we actually get to form deeper relationship with this life. We get to access what it is to experience what this current message series is all about, comfort and joy. It is exactly as Kathy pointed out in her opening today. So often we are so drained, not just because of how much we are doing, although that is absolutely a contributing factor. It's also how we are doing it. Are we turning ourselves, our bodies, our souls? Are we turning our nature that we are involved in in our environment? Are we turning each other into simply a thing? An object that is nothing more and nothing less than what we can do to it or extract from it or perhaps even exploit it or dominate it. The poisons and the evils of this way of being are all too familiar to so many of us. But to engage with our world in such a way in which, to quote Peter Mayer from probably one of our most favorite songs here at Wellsprings, everything is holy now. 
is to allow ourselves to experience not ourselves and the object in the midst of other objects, but to experience a deeper capacity for a relationship of love and belonging and beauty with this life. Our world can then become so much more alive and vibrant and real. Speaking of trees, some of you know this wonderful teaching, so simple and yet so profound from Thich Nhat Hanh. Some of you are familiar with this, that says if you look at the piece of paper, a simple piece of paper like this with an eyes of a poet, you will recognize that this single piece of paper demonstrates the truth and the reality of the entire universe right here. Because if you look at this piece of paper with the eyes of a poet, Thich Nhat Hanh says, you will see here the ground, the soil in which this piece of paper that was once a tree grew, you will see the sun that nourished it and the nutrients that fed it. And you will see the rain that fell upon it. And you will see not just its environment, but you will also see the person who at one point felled the tree to make it the paper or the person, because this is recycled paper, the person who took it from another piece of paper into a new piece of paper. You will see in that person, in this paper, their parents. You will see the orange juice they had for breakfast on the day that they produced this piece of paper. You will see their oatmeal. You will see all the generations that came before the person that produced this piece of paper and the environment itself as a holy thing. Thich Nhat Hanh says, if you look at this piece of paper with the eyes of a poet, you will see that the entire universe is present within it. And actually, perhaps because I've been doing this practice for a while, it's almost reached the point of, well, no, duh. <laughs> How could it be otherwise? This is what Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing, that all of us, everything inter-is. Reality is relationship, and relationship is reality. And when we live in this way, it is so much easier to both give and receive comfort and joy. And there's a very active and alive piece of paper that didn't want us to forget about it over here. All our lives engaged and connected. Not just engaged and connected, but also perhaps we could even say enchanted, whimsical. So many of us forget that fun and amusement is also a spiritual practice. All this stuff doesn't have to be serious and it becomes somber. I think we're missing something essential about the spiritual life. Recently, about four to six months ago, I came upon a podcast that I've really started to enjoy called Everything is Alive. It is a series of deadpan interviews between an interviewer and a balloon, an interviewer and a jack-o'-lantern. Or, as you're about to hear 45 seconds of, an interviewer and Lewis, the can of cola.
it's amusing. And when you listen to a 25-minute interview with a can of cola, I can almost guarantee you that you will feel something like love by the end of it. It's not real, but it's true. I got to tell you that after I heard that interview, the next soda that I drank tasted the best of any soda I can ever remember. This is what it's like when we can help transform our relationship with things from one of objects, again, that we simply use and move beyond and move past into something like gratitude. We can become real participants in our life, not as bystanders or people who simply use things. But we might become more mutually empowered, awake and aware. There's a teaching tool that some of you have been around at Wellsprings for, I think last time I used it was maybe eight years ago or so. Some of you still repeat it back to me. It represents different ways of being able to engage in our world. Basically what you do, the top line there, different ways of engaging, passive or active. Along the other axis, a perspective, scarce or abundant. Passive and scarce, comparative. I'm always comparing myself to you. I'm always up or I'm down. Perhaps we know someone like this. Perhaps even a certain Twitterer engages with the world in this way. Seriously, this is a really toxic way to be. And he's not alone in that. There's many people like that. Active, but scarce. Everything's going to be a competition. I cannot win without you losing and vice versa. Another kind of poisonous way to be. Good for sports, not so good for life. Passive, abundant, well, appreciative. I can stand over there, far away from you. I can say, you are wonderful. You are great. I have nothing to do with you at all, but you're just fantastic. And then the final one, active and abundant. We actually recognize what it is to be in this life in a truly cooperative way. We can recognize that it's one of the reasons that what used to be called the stewardship team here at Wellsprings and then was the giving team is now actually generosity and gratitude. It is a very natural consequence that isn't just about money or finances, although it involves that. That generosity and gratitude are absolutely related. And it invites us even into a deeper way of being as well. In this culture, when so many of us struggle with this one word, enough, am I enough? And actually the truth is for many of us who do materially have enough, if we see our life only through the lens of comparison or competition, we will take even more and more and more for ourselves and perhaps deny the right of others to live at a level that simply allows them to live. This culture struggles so much with enough, this culture that defines our worth by possession and acquisition of objects. But if we can engage this life as relationship that reality is, then maybe enough can be built out 
of who and what we already are. That the relationships we have are already here and can be engaged and loved more deeply, which in turn creates the conditions for greater belonging, goodness, and love for every single one of us. And so I want to close the story that puts it in pretty stark contrast, but I think absolutely true. Whether it's real, who knows? It's an old Hasidic tale, the mystical strand in Judaism, in which a very old rabbi is coming to the end of his life. And he has a dream one night. I forget the Hebrew words, but it translates into the world to come or the life to come. And he has a guide in this dream, this old rabbi does. And that guide, they give them a tour of the afterlife. And the guide says, here, first, I will show you hell. And they descend. And the thing about the old rabbi is that he senses hell is getting close. But the old rabbi is very confused because the first thing he does is he smells this amazing smell, the best smell he's ever smelled in his life. Something cooking and it's beautiful. And the guide takes him into the room where this pot is cooking and he sees famished Miserable, unhappy people sitting around this amazing, smelling cauldron. But they're not eating from it. See, the problem, the guide explains, is that they have these long spoons. They they can only grasp by the handles because it's too hot to get the soup otherwise. And they cannot navigate it back to feed themselves. And so they sit there in the midst of this abundance, this beauty, famished and unhappy and miserable. And then the guide says, and now I will show you heaven. And they walk not far away into another room with another terrific smell emanating out of it. And they open the door and it's the same pot amazing deliciousness sitting there and everyone in the room is happy and contented and joyful and well-fed. And the rabbi thinks, what's the difference? Everything looks the same. And the guide turns to the old rabbi and says, you see, in heaven, they have learned to feed each other. This is how it is, or at least can be. When we live in a world of relationship and no longer a world of objects. May we feed, may you feed and be fed from your connected relationships today. And participate as Thich Nhat Hanh asks us all the time to the making of heaven on this earth. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? As we breathe in and as we breathe out, we recognize that right here, right now, this is what we need. There may be other needs to come, but right here, right now, in this moment, as we just allow ourselves very simply to take this one breath, 
and to give this one breath back, recognizing that because we are here, we are feeding the trees as the trees feed us. We are participating in reality. We are not separate from it. We cannot be. We never are. And so from this place of awareness, may we invite ourselves to live in paths of justice and compassion and goodness that make plain and make clear that as reality is relationship and relationship is reality, that all of us, leaving no one out, is invited to thrive into the fullness of their being and our being. Amen.